right, good morning, church. You know, our passage this morning is a very interesting one because it's a very familiar story, especially in this Christmas season, right? But I don't know if you noticed, there are some details that maybe is going to shatter what you know about the nativity scene. Like, did you know in this passage that there were not three wise men, right? It never says three. Actually, historians think that there were actually many, many that came, right? That number three came up because of the three gifts that they brought, okay? Did you also know that when the wise men visit, that Jesus is not an infant baby in the manger, right? What does our passage say? That the wise men come to visit, and they visit where? Anyone? It's in the passage this morning. Uh, They actually come into the house, right? I don't know. Is this shattering any of your nativity scene, manger scene? Uh, Yes, you can throw that, uh, you know, Christmas decoration away. But I think the most interesting and important uh, detail that we see in this passage is actually the stark contrast of different responses to Jesus' birth. We see Herod, and we see the wise men, and how it's so different, their response to the coming of Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, and hopefully, maybe it'll even be a mirror to our own hearts in this Christmas season, that we have the proper response to Jesus. All right, so point one, we see first the troubled heart of Herod. I'm going to read once again verses 1 through 8 for us. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Right? Make note of that. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found them, bring me word that I too may come and worship them. Now, maybe you're familiar with this story. But in verse 3, it clearly tells us that Herod was troubled. This word describes a person that is very anxious and fearful with dread. And so the natural question is this. Why so troubled over a baby that's born in Bethlehem? Why go out of your way as the king to assemble all the chief peace and the scribes to dig into this baby being born. Well, we see why in the conversation that the wise men have with Herod in verse 2, right? Because they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, why is this troubling to Herod, anyone? Well, simply because he is the current king of the Jews. But announcement comes that there's a new king that's coming. So obviously it makes sense that it's going to trouble his heart. But it makes actually more sense when you realize through biblical history 
that Herod was actually an Edomite, okay? Meaning that he had no rightful place as king of the Jews, but he's placed there because of his favor with the Roman Empire. Okay, are you following? So he has no right. He's an illegitimate heir to the throne of the king of the Jews. And so an announcement comes that there's actually possibly a legitimate heir to the throne coming. And so now, if he is truly the Messiah, this could mean very big problems for him. You know, this reminds me of a movie that I actually very much enjoyed. It was a movie called Catch Me If You Can. Any of you guys watch that? Yeah? Any of you guys watch this? Um, it's a fascinating story because it's based on a true story about a man named Frank Abagnale Jr. Okay? And he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. So it's a very fascinating story because he actually, because his parents got divorced, he ended up on the streets of New York. And he just was a con man. But he was just really good at what he did. And so what he ended up doing was he conned himself to pretend to be a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot. And what he would do is he would make these fraudulent checks and he would cash these huge checks, right? And he would just get lump sums of money. He was actually, by history, he was the most successful bank robber in the history of the U.S. before the age of 17. Did you know this? He's a real guy. Now, the story is very fun and exciting, right? And you can kind of see it. But as you watch this movie, one of the things that you will pick up on is that there is this very underlying anxiety and fear that is always present with Frank because he fears being caught because he's a fraud. In the movie, I don't know if you remember this, he writes a letter to his dad. And to his dad, he says this, quote, he says, Dear Dad, you always told me that an honest man has nothing to fear. So I'm trying my best not to be afraid. And the reason why he writes that is because he was always afraid. And Herod shares this same similar fear, because he wanted to remain the king while knowing all along that it was not his rightful place. So we know the story. He gathers the chief priests and scribes and says, hey, you got to find out where this baby's going to be born. They turn to Micah 5.2, and they tell him it's in Bethlehem. So he does something a little sneaky. He gathers the wise men and says, hey, go find this baby so that I may go and also what? Worship him, Right? But we know that that's not his intent because later on, biblical history will tell us that he tries to kill all the babies that were born during that time. Now, if you know anything about Herod, he was paranoid about being dethroned. History tells us that he killed hundreds who he considered a threat to his throne. Did you know this? He killed three of his own sons because he felt threatened. He also killed two of his brothers-in-law. He killed one of his mothers-in-law. I'm not sure why, why the mother, but maybe she was, I don't know, annoying him. But not only that, but he killed one of his favorite wives. He had ten wives, Miriam, because she was gaining too much favor with the people. 
So that's the scene. And now Jesus comes in, and he was a great threat to Herod's most important treasure, to be the king. What is your most important treasure? You know, when my kids were younger, uh, and I had to discipline them, you know, I didn't like really hitting them. I had like a spoon that I would scare them with, where I would kind of hit their hand. But the thing that worked the best, I don't know if you guys knew this, was to take away their iPads, okay? So they would do something, I would say, hey, you got to give me your iPad for eight hours. You can't use it today. And honestly, you thought their life was ending, right? Oh, my gosh. How can I live without YouTube kids and, and Roblox for like eight hours, right? And by the way, I, I really despise Roblox because they have this thing called Robux. You know what that is, right? Every Christmas, every birthday, we're getting this Robux, right? And I remember once um, my middle child, Riley, so she had some Robux that she saved up from birthdays and Christmas. So she had it saved up on her account. My youngest son, Joshua, he got into her account and he spent all the Robux and he bought all this stuff. Like, I, your response is exactly how I responded. I was like, oh my gosh. How dare you, right? And I'm not kidding. I thought she was going to kill him. The look of anger in her eyes was, do you know what Joshi did? Right? That was her treasure, okay? You know, psychologists, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but they actually did a study on this, and they called this fear of the loss of something very important to you uh, this term called catastrophobia, okay? Because all of us, we grow attachment, strong attachment to things, whether it's relationship or, you know, goods. And the greater the attachment, the bigger the fear of losing that thing. And actually, if and when you lose that thing or person, it's devastating because that was your world. See, for Herod, being king was the absolute most important thing in his life. It was his idol. And Jesus was the possible catastrophic end to his current set of life and circumstances. And the question, and maybe it mirrors our hearts, is we have to ask ourselves is, do we love something so much in this life where we get blinded and we don't see the value of Christ because we value something so much more. You know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know, can we shoot up that quote? He says this, God and the world, God and its goods are incompatible because the world and its goods make a bid for our hearts. And only when they have won them do they become what they really are. That is how they thrive. And that is why they are incompatible with our allegiance to God. Our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion. And we can only cleave to one Lord. Bonhoeffer is cueing us into the way we are created, which is 
he's telling us the same thing that Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.24. Do you remember this? When Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, this literally defines Herod. It wasn't money. It was his kingship, his kingly reign, his title, and his job was absolutely the most important thing to his life. But we know this. Scripture tells us that Jesus should be the Lord of our lives. S.M. Zwemer, he makes a sobering statement about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he says something very simple and powerful. He says, unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. This is a challenging statement for us as believers to bring every area of our lives under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ, because if we don't, There are things in our lives that can become idols and it blinds us to the value of Christ and all of a sudden, we want that more than Jesus. We value Jesus over valuing the treasures of this world. That's our calling. But Herod could not part with his earthly title. He gets blinded, filled with So that's the first response. The second response is completely different. We see the worship of the wise men. What I would call the proper response to Jesus. We already know in verse 2, it tells us that they say to King, right? King Herod, they say, we have come to worship him. Now, that's not a throwaway statement. They could get killed for saying something like that in the presence of King Herod. But for the Disregard of their own safety, they go and look for Jesus. Read verse 9 through 11 with me. It says this, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now what's interesting is there isn't a lot that we know about these wise men. But we do know one thing, which is this. That the Bible is clear and accurate when they describe them as wise men. They were exceedingly wise because they sought after the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, to worship him. And in order to worship him, they had to pause whatever was going on in their life, change course so that they could go and find this Messiah. Now, I want you to realize something. It's not like they had nothing to do in their life. But they paused it because there was something so much more important at stake was to find Jesus. So the wise men sacrificed time, money, and comfort to seek Jesus. It says that the wise men came from the east. Most historians say Babylon. If so, that is a distance of about 300 miles. Okay? Now, a trip like that today, can you imagine like you end church and you have to drive 300 miles in a car 
That in itself would be tiring, wouldn't it? Like my kids would ask me 50 times during 300 miles, when are we going to get there, right? 300 miles. If you drive an EV, you wouldn't make it. You would have to stop and charge for 45 minutes to make that trip work. Not only that, imagine it was uncomfortable, dangerous, hot. There was no air conditioning, no motels. It was a rugged terrain. You know, I just, for fun, I just wanted to put it in. So do you want to shoot that up? You know, on Google Maps, all right, it's estimated. But if you were to walk, okay, from Babylon to Bethlehem, it, it would take 235 hours on foot. Think about that. There are some people that don't come to church when it rains. <laughs> or they're like, oh, it's in Garden Grove? <sighs> ah, I don't know. Oh, that's, that's just asking a lot. This worship meant that much to the wise men. And when they saw the star resting on the place Jesus was, in verse 10 it tells us that they were filled with exceeding joy. They rejoiced with exceeding joy. Why? Well, there was a cool star, yes. But more than that, it's because the Messiah was there. They were coming into the presence of the king. We should always be filled with joy when we're coming into the presence of the king. The wise men, upon seeing Jesus, they fell on their knees and worshipped him. Because something was different about this baby. He was worthy of worship. They value Jesus properly as opposed to the things of this world that Herod struggled with. And we know this story, right? In their worship, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'll just show you a little, little slide so you can take a look. Some have suggested that these gifts mean something, right? They, they kind of mirror Jesus' life and death. Like the gold represents Christ's kingship. The myrrh is, you know, for embalming dead bodies. And so it kind of points to Jesus dying on the cross for us. Now, it is not clear in Scripture that they knew the intent of these gifts. But I will tell you one thing. One thing is very clear. These are weird gifts to give to a baby. It's just weird, right? Like if you have a first birthday for your son or daughter and I bring myrrh, you're going to look at me and say, Pastor John, I'm going to return this. Okay? It is a weird set of gifts to give to a random baby. But you know what it's not? It is not a weird gift to give to a king. These are proper right gifts to give to royalty. You see, the wise men come and they recognize that when they come into the presence of Jesus, that they are coming into the presence of not just the baby, not just the teacher, but royalty. And they come to worship him because they truly recognize Jesus for who he really is. 
and their desire through many days and months of trekking is to come and worship the king of kings. My friends, we are created to worship God. It is one of life's greatest privileges, highest duties that we have to praise him every day that we have life. You know, I heard this week, it was kind of just like a random like Instagram post, but someone was posting, you know, we are given one extra day, not because you need it, but because it's another day to glorify God. Amen? That's why the psalmist in Psalm 34, 1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought not to take the privilege of worshiping and coming into the presence of God lightly. You know, Hebrews 10 tells us that we can boldly come into the presence of God like today, to worship today, because we have an advocate in Jesus. This is not just a made-up story. Jesus came for us as a baby, right? He should have come with condemnation and judgment, but he came with love and grace and an opportunity for us to come freely and boldly into his presence. How can we not honor the king of all kings? I want to challenge you. Uh, church, in 2024, let's take worshiping God, that highest privilege, and let's take it so seriously that we will remember this year as a year given to honor and glorify God. You can look back at your household and say, we live to glorify and honor and worship Him. Pick up an Ecclesiastes study. Worship Him by getting into His presence, getting into His Word every day. We have 52 Sundays next year. Every Sunday, come ready to worship. Come early. You know, I remember back in our old church, we had a guy who would iron out his dollar bills before he gave it for offering. Right? That was kind of silly. I was just like, okay. But for him, it's like, I want to give my very best to God. Because God is worthy of my very best. It's not the amount. It's my intent. Where is my heart that I would value Jesus in that way, in the proper way? So 52 Sundays, let's teach our kids worshiping God is of utmost of importance, that we do not miss. And we have live stream now. So whether you're on a work trip or whatever, we tune in and we say worshiping God is a privilege given by Jesus. And we do not take it lightly. Um, I like what Graham Kendrick says. He says this, Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. He says, no, but it is a vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying that sometimes... In the church, we've kind of taught people wrongly that it's just like a feeling. Oh, when you feel like, oh, the Holy Spirit is giving me this feeling to worship God. No, it's like, no. God is worthy. So I make the conscious act to say, because he's worthy, I'm going to give him my very best. 
Because there will be Sundays where you don't want to come to church. That's very natural sometimes because we fight in the flesh. But we make the conscious act because God is worthy. The King of Kings has given us privilege to come into his presence. So we take that so seriously because we value him properly. Uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple of our pastoral staff and myself, uh, we, we attended a couple funerals of the parents of a few of our church members. I guess we're in that life stage now where it's like less weddings, less first birthdays, uh, it's more funerals, and, and maybe to come, like some of the weddings of our kids. And when you are uh, in those funeral scenes in the midst of mourning family, um, it's very sobering. It really puts into perspective what's most important in life. But you know, these two funerals, as sad as they were, uh, it was filled with so much hope. You know why? Because interestingly enough, both funerals, they were not just Christians but they were fathers that worshipped God. They were committed to living for Christ. And these two parents of our dear brothers and sisters here, their testimony was that they loved Jesus. They wanted to sing in the choir. They lived life to share about God. And, and that made a huge impact because that has reverberations for eternity. And we say this a lot, but your job when you die does not matter. They were not bragging about the money that their father made. But they were so proud that they had a father that taught them that worshiping God was the most important thing in this life. And I sat there humbled, but also reminded again that that is what we are created for, my brothers and sisters. Because Jesus came that we would have access to a relationship with him and freedom without condemnation. I want to end with just kind of the last verse. In verse 12, if you take a look there, this is something very powerful. It says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, you know why Matthew puts this in, right? Because Matthew wants you to know something. God is working. God is in control. From the supernatural star to the protection of Jesus, Herod wanted to win. Satan wanted to win. It's not going to work. Jesus is in control. He was in control back then. He is in control now. And Jesus' plan will carry through. And so for us, I want you to be able to say, you know what, we trust God. Life right now maybe is a little shaky. Trust that God is working in the midst of it. And when he calls us to be his worshipers, not to value the things of this world more. We are on the winning team. And we can trust in that. Because God 
is working in the midst of our church, in our families, in 2024. Friends, what do you love? What do you love so much that maybe it's blinding you to the spiritual things around us? And are you truly taking advantage of this privilege that we have in Christ to worship the King of all kings? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that this is not just some narrative story that's cool to hear, but this is true, that you, the Messiah, you came for each and every one of us in our brokenness, in our sin, and you came with love, grace, and mercy for us, not judgment and condemnation, so that we can have an eternity with you. We can have hope and peace and joy in this life. And we can have the privilege to worship you and to come into your presence each and every day. God, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that is a struggle. So we need you to help us that the act of our will, even when we don't feel like it, would be to give you our very best worship. Because you are deserving of it. You are worthy of it. We thank you for your son Jesus, whom you sent for us. And in his precious name we pray. Amen.